Uh, I'm excited this morning as we are kicking off a new sermon series on, on the book of Ephesians. It is God's plan for every book in the Bible to be read, understood, enjoyed, and applied into our hearts. And so we, as a church, we value very highly the discipline of coming under God's word. So we value very highly uh, the value of, of preaching through books of the Bible so that we receive the whole counsel of the whole word of God. And so we're kicking off a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. Uh, the series is titled, New Nature, New Community. Jesus Christ not only changes us inside out, he also radically transforms how we engage in community. He not only fills our individual hearts with joy and peace, but he also brings great harmony and flourishing in our communities. And I think this accurately captures the essence of what God is trying to communicate to us through the book of Ephesians. New nature, new community. The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. It has six chapters. The first couple of chapters help us understand what Jesus has done for each of us as individuals. The remaining chapters talk about how Jesus transforms the way we engage with one another in different communities of marriage, family, church, workplace, society, and everywhere else that God has called and placed us in communities. Uh, we're going to be looking at the first chapter of the book of Ephesians this morning. I'm going to read the first half of the chapter, and I'll read the second half as we move along into the sermon. I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. It'll come up for us on screen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, that is Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believe in him, 
We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Allow me to pray. Father, we pray by your spirit. Would you help every one of us grow in the new nature we have in Christ and grow in the new community you have called us to be in Christ. May we be a city on a hill. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to draw three things for us uh, from this chapter. First is a gospel proclamation, a gospel prayer, and a gospel partnership. A gospel proclamation, a gospel prayer, and a gospel partnership. Uh, If this is your very first time in a church, uh, the word gospel refers to the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So let's begin with the first thing, a gospel proclamation. The entire passage that we read is actually one sentence in the original Greek language in which it was written. And this one sentence is a doxology. A doxology is is an exclamation of praise and worship to God. Verse 3 begins with, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every blessing in the heavenly realms. And then the rest of the passage proceeds to unpack the many blessings we have in Christ. You know, in our call to worship this morning, everything that we praised God for are things that Paul has outlined as part of this every blessing we have in Christ Jesus. So what we did during the call to worship was actually a summary, praising God through the summary of Ephesians chapter 1. So after Paul says in verse 3, you have every, we have every blessing in Christ, he then goes on to unpack four specific blessings, four broad baskets of blessings in which everything else is housed together. I'll quickly read out the four and then we're going to unpack each of these four. The first blessing that Paul talks about in this chapter is adoption. Second is redemption and forgiveness of sins. Third is an inheritance we have. And the fourth is the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. So we're going to look at each of these four uh, in some detail, starting with adoption. Verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. God's adopted us as sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. What does that really mean? How does that impact us? Imagine a child begging on the streets of Mumbai and you walk past that kid or you drive past that kid you see that kid, you know, your heart is moved with, with sympathy. Uh, you give some money or you give some food and the child's going to be happy and you feel you've loved the child a little bit. We can do better than that. Rather than just give some good food or money, uh, we could take, go with the child, talk to the child, go to the parents or whoever's taking care of the child, have a conversation with them and kind of give them more money to take care of more needs of the kid. Now, if you're a really kind person, you can go one more step ahead and you can invest 
in taking care of all of the child's care and education and, and put the child in boarding school and pay for her education all the way up to college until he or she can stand on your own. Now imagine you've done that. Is there anything else? Is there anything more you could have done for the child? The only thing you could have done more than all the things you've we've already done for the child in this hypothet- hypothetical example is to actually adopt him or her. There is nothing greater that we could do to love a child, to bless a child that is not our own, than to adopt him or her. This is what God does to us when we believe in Christ. When we believe in Christ Jesus, when he helps us to believe in Christ Jesus, God shows us the full extent of his love through adoption. You see, going back to the illustration that I used, God doesn't stop with just giving us some food. God doesn't stop with just, just providing for some money for the next three months. God doesn't just stop with paying for our fees all the way through college. No. God's love for us in Christ Jesus goes all the way. In Christ, God has already loved us the greatest He can ever love us by going to the full extent of his love by adopting us into his family. You know, if you'd given the child some food, the child would have been happy. If you'd gone to the child to his home or where he was staying, who was caring for and done a little bit more, he would have been even happier. If you'd put him through school, he would have been even happier. But I can bet that none of these children when you meet them on the streets, are actually going to expect you to adopt them. All, all, they, all they're expecting, their, their best hopes, their, their most optimistic imaginations is that you'll give them a little money or a lot of money. None of them have it in even their wildest imaginations, even the greatest expectations that you would actually adopt them. And, and so it is with us. We would have been happy with our sins being forgiven, would we not? Think about it. How many of you have prayed, God, would you please adopt me as your child? Did that, did that even exist in our vocabulary? Did, it, did that even exist in our, in our imaginations? No. But God, in his rich mercy, he showed us his infinite love for us, and he invested all of his love in adopting us into his family when we never even expected that. When the Bible calls us to believe that we are adopted by God in Christ, it is calling us to realize the fact that God held nothing back. He loved us with all the love that he is capable of, which is infinite because he is God himself. God loved us with all the love he has. And the Bible says God is love. He loved us with all the love he has by adopting us into his very family. In Christ, when God loved us in Christ, he held Nothing back. 
he held nothing back. He gave us all to us. He gave us all of his love. How much of ourselves have we given to God? How much of myself am I giving to God? Don't we all hold back? Not so God. And that proof of that lies in our adoption. That's the first blessing that Paul is talking about in this passage. The second blessing that Paul is talking about, the second blessing that we have in Christ is in verses 7 and 8. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, redemption and forgiveness of sin. At New City, we keep talking about repentance and faith a lot. Repenting from our sins and believing in Jesus as a forgiveness for our sins. And every time we read a chapter of the Bible, we encourage people to, to reflect And how is this passage calling us to repentance? As Martin Luther once said in in the beginning of the Reformation, all of life is repentance. But in all this talk of repentance at New City, I hope you have not lost sight of one gospel truth. And that's what Paul is mentioning to us in this passage. God's forgiveness of us is not based primarily on our repentance, it is based on the riches of his grace. God's forgiveness of us is not based primarily on our repentance, but it is based on the riches of his grace. Imagine where we would stand if God's forgiveness of us is based entirely on our repentance. It means that if you were not aware of a sin, you are not forgiven for it. It means that if you are aware of the sin and, and you, you ignore it or you don't want to repent for it, then there is no forgiveness for, for, that, for that sin. But praise be to God that our forgiveness is based on the riches of his grace, as this verse tells us. Now, does this mean that we don't need to repent? Not at all. If we truly love and believe in a holy God, And if the Holy Spirit indeed dwells in us, our hearts will be cut to repentance at every instant where we grieve the heart of God. For those those of us who truly love God, repentance becomes a joy. It It is our joy to repent because we love God. We don't want to grieve Him. But our forgiveness is not based even on our repentance. It is based on the riches of God's grace, which is why we can be absolutely assured of our salvation when we believe in Christ Jesus. Imagine your friend treats you to lunch at a, at a really fancy restaurant, and you have two choices. Now you can do a la carte, or you can do the buffet. In the a la carte option, You can eat only what you order. You get nothing else. And at the buffet, everything that's laid out is yours. You have access to the entire spread. You can eat whatever you want, how much ever you want. God's redemption of us is not an a la carte redemption, 
that is based on our forgiveness, where we receive, based on our repentance, where we receive forgiveness only for the sins we repent for. But God's forgiveness is a buffet. All our sins are forgiven according to the riches of His grace. That's what Paul is calling, helping us see. The question is, do you realize you're at the buffet? That's beauty. That's the riches of God's forgiveness. The third blessing that this passage is calling us to see that we have in Christ is inheritance. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. What does this inheritance really mean? What's the big deal about it? Um, When God called the nation of Israel, there were 12 tribes, and one of the tribes was a tribe called Levites, which is the priestly tribe. And um, this tribe was led by a man named Aaron. And this is what God told Aaron in, in Numbers, which is a book in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 18, verse 20. God told Aaron, you will have no inheritance in their land, nor will you have any share among them. And God told Aaron, I am your share. I am your inheritance among the Israelites. God told Aaron that I am your inheritance. And in Christ, just like God told Aaron, in Christ, God himself is our inheritance. Excuse me. Uh, Aji had a dear friend. He came from a Hindu family. And he became a follower of Jesus. And quite understandably, his, his family was very upset with him. They disowned him. They disinherited him. Uh, he lost his inheritance because he became a follower of Christ. And speaking to Aji, he once said, I'm not hurt because I didn't get the money or the wealth or inheritance from my parents. But to this day, I grieve because my parents disowned me. I grieve to this day, not because I didn't get the money. I grieve because they said, I'm no longer theirs. I grieve because they rejected me because of my faith in Jesus. They cut me off from them. They said, I no longer belong to them. So if the loss of earthly relationship brings more sadness than inheritance lost. See, in this, this, this real story, this person is grieving, not because he's lost the inheritance, but he's lost the relationship. And he values the relationship more than the inheritance itself. So if earthly, if this loss of an earthly relationship brings more sadness than inheritance lost, then the relationship gained must bring greater joy than the inheritance gained. And in Christ, this inheritance that we have is not a material inheritance, but this inheritance is God himself, an unhindered face-to-face fellowship with God for all of eternity and what the Bible calls union with Christ Jesus. That's the third blessing that we have. And Paul says, we have every blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. This is the third. 
that he unpacks in the first part of chapter, chapter 1 in Ephesians. The fourth blessing that Paul talks about is, is the Holy Spirit as a seal guaranteeing our inheritance. Verse 13, when you believed in Jesus, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Again, in the original uh, Greek language in which Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, the, this, the word guaranteeing, the word deposit actually means an earnest deposit <clears throat> or a down payment. So what Paul is telling us is the Holy Spirit is an earnest deposit or a down payment guaranteeing what is to come. In Mumbai, if you're one of the fortunate few who can ever buy an apartment in your life, it is so hard to buy anything in Mumbai. So if you book an apartment, for example, uh, you deposit, uh, you would place a deposit of 2 lakhs or 3 lakhs or 5 lakhs, whatever the number is. And this deposit guarantees that the builder is going to give you the flat. Of course, you have to pay up. But this deposit is, is the guarantee that you're going to pay the rest and, and own the flat. And Paul's saying, this is how the Holy Spirit is given to us. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee, as the initial payment that one day Christ will come and take us to be his bride. That's what it really means. Now we need to see this in two ways. Two ways. Now... If the Holy Spirit is just the initial advance, can you imagine what the full payment is going to look like? Imagine you're buying a flat in Mumbai, two crore, three crore, whatever. You, you're giving two lakhs as deposit. But the full payment is going to be two crore, three crore. If the Holy Spirit who's living in us, the Holy Spirit we're experiencing now is the initial deposit, can we imagine what the full payment is going to look like? Second, because the Holy Spirit himself is the down payment of our salvation, we get to experience a foretaste of God himself here and now. We get to experience a foretaste of the inheritance we have in God here and now. Because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, we don't get all of heaven right now, but we do get a foretaste of heaven. Now, a lot of people would take it, this in the direction of miracles and signs and wonders and healings. This is not untrue. God does this still, even now. And it is this Holy Spirit who is a deposit in us, who, who enables us to serve people with these incredible gifts. <clears throat> but these gifts or signs and wonders in themselves is not the big deal. The real big deal, the real foretaste of heaven is of our eternal inheritance in heaven is an experience of the foretaste of the love, the joy, the peace of heaven that we can now have here in a broken world that is still full of pain and suffering. The real foretaste is this beautiful experience of the Holy Spirit who is living in us, enabling us to cry out, Abba. Father. And so these are the four blessings in Christ that Paul is telling us in this passage that we have. 
Now, here's the important thing. These are blessings we already have in Christ. God is not saying, you will now receive these blessings in the years to come. No, no, no. That's not what God's saying here. These are blessings we already have. That brings us to the second thing that I want to draw out from the first chapter of Ephesians for us. The gospel prayer. The gospel prayer. Having listed all these blessings that we read in the call call to worship, and, and even now in the last 15 minutes or so, having listed all these blessings, now Paul goes on to pray for the Ephesians. And allow me to read that prayer. That's from verse 17 onwards. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Does anything about the prayer strike you as odd? Think about it for a moment. Does anything about the prayer strike you as odd? What is Paul praying for here? Paul is praying that the people in the Ephesian church, and all of us too, may know the hope we are called to. He's praying that we may know the riches of the inheritance we have. And this is what is odd about the prayer. Paul is praying that we will know that which we already have. Remember the four blessings? that we just spent time on in the gospel proclamation, Paul has spent so much time helping us see that these are blessings we already have in Christ. And now Paul is praying that we will know these blessings we already have. So in the gospel proclamation, Paul spelt out the blessings we already have. And now in the gospel prayer, he's praying we will know and actually truly and fully experience all the blessings we already have in Christ Jesus. What does this really mean for us? This is what I think it means for us. Paul's prayer, excuse me, Paul's prayer is a reminder that we are not yet fully experiencing the incredible blessings we already have in Christ Jesus. Paul is praying because he knows the Ephesian church is not enjoying, is not experiencing what they already have in Christ. And this prayer is relevant to us because we too, like the church at Ephesus, are not experiencing We are not enjoying the fullness of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms that is already ours in Christ Jesus. And just like the Ephesians church needed, 
we too need our hearts enlightened that we may know the rich blessings that we already have in Christ. Let me go back for a moment to the, to the um, blessing of adoption and the illustration that I used in that. Let me go back to the theme of adoption. No adopted child, however young or old, is able to immediately love and trust his or her adoptive parents 100% from day one. (coughs) Excuse me. You see, the parents have already loved the child 100%. The parents have already adopted the child 100%, legally and in every way. But the child still takes a fair amount of time. Some children do it in a few weeks, few months. Sometimes it takes years, but it does take time. The child takes time to trust and love their adoptive parents. So adoption is a journey. And like every adopted child, we are also journeying in our adoption. And our Heavenly Father lovingly and patiently bears the pain of all of our distrust, of all of our rejection of him, so that we may someday grow to experience the fullness of his love. We are 100% adopted, but we still need the eyes of our heart to be enlightened more and more day by day, so we can experience the fullness of the blessing we already have in Christ Jesus. What Paul is praying for here, in a nutshell, is what all spiritual growth is about. All of spiritual growth is coming to know and experience all the blessings we already have in Christ. You see, God has held nothing back. He is not withheld the 10% to give us later. He has given it all. And so spiritual growth is just growing and experiencing the blessings we already have in Christ Jesus. That brings us to the third and the last thing that I want to close to this. And this is also the title for today's sermon. Gospel Partnerships. Gospel Partnerships. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a gospel partner to the folks at the church in Ephesus. He was a gospel father to them. He was a gospel shepherd. He was a gospel pastor. He prayed and helped the people in the church at Ephesus to know and experience the rich blessings they already had in Christ. Here's the simple truth. We all need gospel partners, gospel friends who will pray for us and lovingly help us see the rich blessings we have in Christ already. You know, in the busyness of life, in, in the turmoil of life, in, in, the, in the avalanche of, of, of worries and anxieties and stress and doubts, longings, desires, the brokenness of the world around us, the brokenness and sin within us. 
in our disappointments, in our failures, in our struggles, in our accomplishments, in our successes, in all of these, we do forget who we are in Christ. We do forget that in Christ we have every blessing of God. And so we need gospel partners to remind us of what we already have in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not at all suggesting it has to be the pastor alone. Not at all. In fact, every pastor has failed, and I have failed as a pastor, if the only person who can be a gospel partner is me. Not at all. We're going to see that in, in the rest of Ephesians as the book unfolds in, in, in community, new community. We need to be communi- a community. God has called us to be a community where we can be gospel partners and gospel friends with one another, loving one another, and truly enabling each other to see and enjoy and experience every blessing that we already have in Christ Jesus. Which is why the Bible talks about the church as a body where every member is caring for every other member in the body. It is not just the pastor or the elders or, or some a few leaders in the church. A few weeks ago, I, I hit on the theme of gospel friendship. It's a theme that God's really been laying on my heart. On my heart. A theme that I really believe God and His Holy Spirit is calling every one of us to. Especially in this season where we've gone through, we're just coming out of a phase of isolation. Gospel friendships, gospel partnerships. We all need gospel partners. Just like in the Ephesians. If you really look at the first chapter of Ephesians, here's the big deal. Here's the single big point that Paul is making. Paul is trying to tell the church, you have all these blessings, but you're not enjoying it. And here I am. I'm praying that you will enjoy these blessings. That's the essence of the first chapter of Ephesians. That's the essence of what I believe God is trying to communicate to every one of us this morning. Let us pray. Father, we need you, Lord. We need you. We need your son, Christ Jesus. We need him who is the word. We need the Holy Spirit. And we need the community of brothers and sisters that you have placed us in. And so, Lord, every blessing that we have in Christ that we are not enjoying Would you help me rediscover it? Would you help every one of us rediscover it? Become aware of it and actually enjoy and experience through another brother or sister or friend in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that that the teaching of the book of Ephesians, new nature, new community. Lord, as we walk through this series, as we walk through this book, faithfully preaching your word, would you come and transform your people? Would you come and build your church according to your great faithfulness and according to the riches of your glorious mercy? Thank you, Lord. Help us. We need you. 
We need you to grow into the church that you have called us to be. We need you to grow into the church you have redeemed us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.